come, come, ye saints, no toil nor labor fear, but with joy when your way. This interview is a joint production of Mormon Stories Podcast and Gay Mormon Stories Podcast. To check out the video version of this episode, go to youtube.com slash mormonstories. To keep these podcasts alive, please consider a financial contribution today at mormonstories.org and gaymormonstories.org. And thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to a special edition, a Valentine's Day special edition of Mormon Stories Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, John DeLynn. And um, we're at KR, KRCL Studios in Salt Lake City, um, thanks to Troy Williams, uh, again on Valentine's Day 2013. And we have with us uh, two very special guests. We have uh, Laurel and Josh Weed. Uh, Laurel is also known as Lolly. I'm so happy to have you guys here on Mormon Stories. I've been wanting to interview you guys for a long time. And so thanks for coming. Our, Our pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. We're excited to be here. All the way from Washington. That's right. Yeah. So um, Josh, uh, Josh and, and Lolly sort of hit the hit the Mormon uh, consciousness around what was it June of 2012? June seventh. Yeah, June seventh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When um, Josh came out uh, publicly as a as a gay believing LDS man, father of three, married to Lolly. Um, in in what is sort of termed in the uh, academic world as a mixed orientation marriage, which is a marriage where one of the members of the marriage is heterosexual and the other is uh, in Mormon vernacular same-sex attracted or elsewhere homosexual or gay or lesbian. So um, uh, this created um, quite a bit of talk and conversation. Um, and a lot of it, I think, has been constructive where... Uh, People want to understand, some are confused, some are angry, some are excited, some feel validated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm just delighted to be able to give you guys a chance to tell your stories here on Mormon Stories um, and to and sort of clarify what you were and aren't, what you are saying, what you're not saying, um, what your background is. Right. Uh, I should also mention that this is sort of... Um, a co-branded podcast with another podcast that we do called Gay Mormon Stories. Um, sometimes we, we kind of share programming, but I also want to mention the good work that the folks are doing there. Um, okay, so to begin with, I guess I just wanted to start like we always start on Mormon Stories with a little bit of your background. So, um, so Josh, why don't you start? Just tell us a little bit about uh, your, your family heritage and uh, where the church comes into that. Family heritage, okay. Um, <laughs> Well, we're going way back. So, yeah, I'm a multi-generational LDS person. Um, I don't really have any notables in my past. Uh, (laughs) Irish and Swedish is where I come, uh, where my family hails from. And um, so, yeah, uh, probably six or seven generations, something like that. I'm a horrible person that I don't know no, the no, answer to that question. It's fine, not at all. Clearly, family history has not been touched uh, <laughs> as much as it should be. But uh, you're raised LDS. Raised LDS uh, in Kearns, Utah. I was born in Provo. My parents met at BYU, 
kind of a very traditional story. And then they moved to Kearns um, when I was about four, and my dad started teaching seminary uh, for what was then CES. And um, yeah, so raised in the church, and um, when I was 16, moved from Kearns, Utah to Portland, Oregon, and our stories overlap, like it's almost mm-hmm. impossible not to kind of intertwine the story. So in Kearns, we, Lolly and I met in Kearns, our dads were, my dad was the bishop of our ward when I was seven, and her dad was his counselor all five years that they were in together, so they're really good friends, and we, um, yeah, so we met then in elementary school, knew each other, you know, not too well, because we're like seven, but... <laughs> But uh, but then in junior high, we started to get to know each other a little bit more. And her family moved to Portland, Oregon, in junior when we were both in junior high. And my family ended up moving to the same exact suburb of Portland, Oregon, like a year and a half later. So and there was no job connection? No job connection. Totally total serendipity. Total This is This fate. is divinely inspired from the beginning. <laughs> right. yeah. This is how we view it, honestly. <laughs> really. It is how we look at it. And 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 is it okay if I call you Lolly? Oh yeah, no, that's yeah. fine. So, any any quick reflections on that time? Oh, growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've I don't remember life without Josh. Right. Like he's always been in my life, and we lived on the same street in Utah, mm-hmm. and then we both moved to Portland, and he's just always been there. Um, for better or worse. Yeah, so we're obviously we were there. both raised LDS mm-hmm. since we grew up in the same ward. And you met at what age? Uh, I was three. Yeah, he's three. three. I was like four. four. And your earliest memories are what age, uh, do you think? Of life? Of, of, of being of each other? other? Of knowing each other, yeah. Um, you, she has an earlier one than me. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's my memory or my best friend's memory, but right. we talked about um, just when he moved in, <laughs> me and my best friend were out on my front porch and up walks this little boy two little Toe-head. boys holding hands <laughs> holding hands with my brother with his little brother like knee high tube socks and my friend's like who is that new boy <laughs> so that was how i first met That's josh mm-hmm. as a little three-year-old although i wonder why you were walking up the street as a three-year-old <laughs> i don't know yeah so lenient parents i guess and josh what are your first memories of lolly i remember lolly i remember just almost like the concept of lolly she was older she was a grade ahead of me and she was popular and even in elementary school and i just remember probably one of my first actual like visceral memories of her was uh her giving a talk when we were really young i was probably nine or ten and she was 11 or 12 i would have had to have been 12 yeah and uh yeah i remember just being impressed by her articulateness and some of the things that she said really kind of touched me even then at that point and so at what age did you guys become friends junior high like uh, a couple years after that we i sat down next to her at the when i was in eighth grade at the lunch table she was the student body president of our <laughs> of our junior high. Yes. Oh yeah, it's my pretty, claim to fame. It's pretty there. pretty intense, <laughs> and so we yeah I sat next to her and we kind of became friends and we had done a couple we served at a wedding together like oh, a yeah. year or so before that and had gotten along really well enjoyed each other's fun company, together so. yeah and uh, 
Lolly, what did the church mean to you growing up? Um, it meant a lot to me. Um, my parents did a great job of just being good examples to me, but I didn't feel forced to do anything. Um, and I just was one of those kids that was very aware of things. And I remember hearing the phrase like, I know this is the only true church and being very concerned because my grandparents went to a different church. They were Mormon, but my concept was the building itself was the true church. And so I was worried. And then, you know, talking to my mom about that and, and her saying, no, it's all, you know, the LDS faith. They're just different buildings. And so I was always listening, always paying attention. And it was very important to me from a young age to, like, understand things for myself and to not take anybody's word. I, I wanted to know for, for myself. And so um, that's, it's, it's always been important to me. My faith has been basically who I am. Um, and I th really feel like my parents were a lot of that just because they were really supportive and very real with me all the time. And so I felt free to kind of explore and ask questions. Nice. How about you, Josh? Similar. Very important to me. Um, and it's interesting that because the talk that I remember Lolly giving was a talk where she explained how she had developed a portion of her testimony of the church and I remember being really impressed by her the certainty with which she spoke and the spirit with which she spoke and uh, and it was one of the first times that I was like I kind of want to know that too you know like I don't know if I was as aware as cognizant of what was going on around me and that was one of my first moments of kind of like wanting to develop something for myself in terms of comprehension of what's going on around me and so but yeah always very important to me and um, an integral part of my growing up and uh, it's good you know largely positive um, component of my upbringing I too my parents were we both have very, our parents have very similar styles in that they were, you know, there were, there were expectations, but they were very kind of, they allowed us liberty to explore ideas and do what we wanted to do, always with a very supportive backdrop, but never any pressure or never any kind of pushing us in any direction, which was helpful. So. When do you think you gained your testimony by? What age? Um differing levels right. over time yeah. uh, so but like 16 17 is when I read, read the Book of Mormon for the first time and really kind of like started getting into it and and I don't know there were I mean there were there were traces of it but also like I remember as a sophomore going to seminary and being in seminary. My dad was a seminary teacher, and I remember listening to my seminary teacher and being like, this is, this is total balderdash. Like, my dad is totally confused, you know. So, you know, like, there's a, there's a process. I, I don't know sure. if I can define a sure. specific moment of certitude, but... For sure. But, yeah. So, so <clears throat> when, when did you first kind of notice 
your attractions and you know how did you process that as you were I, usually it happens during kind of puberty for many people how, how did you start experiencing that and what was it like to be mormon believing have your dad as a seminary teacher yeah and you're starting to feel attractions um so i was you know i had like some really early fantasy like memories at age five but nothing like set in stone i can just retrospectively look back and be like oh yeah that existed you know but the first like you pointed out it's kind of you know the onset of puberty is when one begins to have those sexual stirrings and that was exactly it for me age 12 around there I remember going to a maturation clinic, which is like where they go, you know, in sixth grade, and you go with your parents, and they're like, "This is what will happen," and I'll, uh, you know, explain it in detail, and and so I had been anticipating developing feelings for girls because that's what was scripted, that's what I was told would happen, and so there was a period of time where I was, where I, you know, where the thing for guys was happening, and but I just thought it was. Uh, incidental maybe you know I was just waiting for the real the real deal to kick in and then at around age 13 I realized like oh wait this is the thing for girls is not gonna happen and this these feelings that I have for guys are absolutely real and and kind of the replacement it's it's what my body apparently is doing and so so there's this term in psychology, ego syntonic versus ego dystonic. Ego syntonic means it, it feels right, it feels natural, it it feels like a part of you, and, and it's almost one with who you are. Ego dystonic is like, wait a minute, why is this happening? This isn't me, I don't want this to be happening. Mm -hmm. Are you saying it was kind of ego dystonic? It was definitely ego dystonic, and I don't know if that's because of the cultural, you know, situation that I found myself in. I have no idea if it would have felt ego uh, dystonic in a different environment, right. but for sure, where I was, it it did not jive with the expectations that I had for myself, nor with so the expect the outside expectations, nor just with my internal kind of what I anticipated for my future, and you know, so. So you were just saying, what's going on here? How do yeah. I how do I get rid of this? I don't want this. I, I wasn't. I wasn't at that point. So like, let's get this out of here. But it was more just like, oh wow, okay. So this is happening, and uh, and it wasn't pleasant. You know, it wasn't like a pleasant realization. It was time. It was a troubling realization. So um, it it was something that it was confusing. You know. Which I guess makes sense, because every cultural cue, both uh, ecclesiastical and secular, you know, just every cultural cue is uh, indicating that things will be one way and then it's this other thing. Okay. And, and it, so it's weird. It's a very weird feeling, very disconcerting. So. Okay. So, so from 13 to whatever age, how did you deal with it? So when I was 13, I, uh, I told my dad... You just came out to him? Uh huh. I came out to him. Had you heard what gay was, or had you I, seen it on TV? Apparently, I had or? some conception because, I mean, I self identified as gay even then, oh. even in that conversation. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I must have had some awareness. Uh, though I can't 
site where you yeah. know where that came from. But the but yeah, I, and he was so at that time he was in the stake presidency and oh. he was a seminary teacher, you know. And uh, but his career before that, he was a social worker. He got his degree in social work, and he had done some. He had worked for social services, and he had done some work in sexuality, and so he was. Uh, he was, you know, he, he responded very well. Not easily phased. He was not going to be phased by me sitting down and talking I'm just surprised this. you weren't too scared to even tell him. Like, so many people right. come out. I, I think the average age that we've found in our data, self-reporting, is around 22, 23, right, seen where LDS that, people come out. Yeah. Uh-huh. So 13 seems extraordinarily early. Yeah. If you knew I don't his know what dad, to attribute that I, to. He, you're, his dad is very easy to talk to, right. and I think you felt very comfortable. And my dad had fostered, had systematically fostered an environment where I would feel comfortable talking about sexual issues. So there was a long period of me like, I didn't consciously do this, but looking back, I, I think that what I was doing was testing the water. So I'd take him downstairs and be like, "Okay, I heard this word, at, you know, mm-hmm. such and such. What is it?" And he'd just tell me what it was. And be you very, were kind of feeling him out a little bit. Yeah, I think I was just testing the waters and seeing how it would go, and and must have been subconsciously, but yeah. And so when the time came that I was ready to have that conversation, I knew that it was a safe thing to do, and that he would respond well. And he said, he said. Several things. Uh, he said that um, I'm trying to remember all. There's like various things. First, he responded by saying that uh, he wasn't totally surprised because he knew me, uh, you know, and I had had some kind of effeminate tendencies, and uh, not saying that that's correlated always but he had just had some he just knew me as Mm -hmm. his child and so he was like oh okay that kind of makes some sense Mm -hmm. and uh he was very validating of what i was saying he did not question what i was asserting at all he did not try and indicate that it was a phase or you know he was not he didn't doubt what i was saying in in the least um i'm trying to remember at the fireside that we were just at he said that he did say something that um, he I'm said that about? he was trying to kind of understand where you were coming uh-huh. from and he said oh yeah no i totally i totally oh, yeah. get it because uh, you know it, i i can identify with yeah, you because if like, i were to do what i would want to do sexually all the time i'd be out sleeping with like four or five women yeah. you know so i have to suppress my sexuality too and then josh right and my response was like no (laughs) like this is so much deeper than that you know like this is this is so much broader than that and so um so yeah and i think he said when you said i mean dad do you realize that if i'm gonna stay in the church i will never be able to fulfill this sexual desire desire so it is not like you because you at least have mom you know and so he said it was kind of like a Oh, like, oh, you're teaching okay. me right now right. something I had not even thought of. Right. Um, but then the kind of culmination of the conversation was that he verbalized that he would love me no matter what I chose to do. Uh, which, you know, 
pat that guy on the back. Like, <laughs> seriously, it was like, that was, I needed, I 100% needed to hear that, especially at that point, because I was obviously just starting my journey, and I had no idea what it would entail, and having that knowledge kind of in the back of my mind was really important so that I didn't feel pressured to do anything that didn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. And so, What year was this? 1993, it would have been, maybe 94. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how did adolescence, how did adolescence go after that? Did you... You know, sucked. <laughs> sucked. Oh yeah. Why? Uh, I was bullied in junior high pretty extensively. I wasn't like flamingly kind of uh, homosexual, but I definitely had effeminate characteristics. Uh, there's this classic footage that has been shown on um, some shows where it's a birthday party and I do like the Vogue, like the uh-huh. Madonna. The Madonna. I don't, you know, like. Uh, a strike and a pose. So there were definitely, and I played the violin, and you know, wasn't into sports, and liked words. You know, <laughs> it was just not a recipe for like awesomeness. It was, <laughs> it was, it was rough. And uh, you know, there were some definite dark moments of uh, some pretty severe bullying, actually. Uh, yeah, and so. Um, it was not awesome. My my junior high was not great. High school, I moved. In the move, I, I gained a bunch of weight, so I was really insecure. And uh, yeah, really, it didn't have many awesome years. Like I didn't have a year that was like this prime moment of of goodness. It, I had some good things going. My family was really supportive. I had some good friendships and stuff, but. Largely, it was a difficult time of my life. For sure. were, were you ever attracted to a, you know, a friend, or were you ever? Did you ever consider having a relationship? Or I did not really. Okay. I did not really consider having a relationship. I did not really have any opportunities like that present themselves. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I had gained weight, especially you know by the time I was like in high school. So. And I had, like, really weird hair and wore, like, I look back at pictures, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, I was like, I did not get the stereotypical style thing, you know, and obviously that's totally stereotyped, but I make fun of myself as, you know, not having, not having that talent. But yeah, so I did not, and I didn't really have a lot of guy friends at the time, so I didn't have a situation where I could really crush on someone that was that I was close to they were more distant you know distant kinds of crushes so yeah so yeah did you ever um and this might extend through your mission sure did you ever try and develop a relationship with heavenly father with god to say hey take this away what what can i do to take it away what can i make it to go away um i did not have like i I feel like I was really lucky in a lot of ways, and that's one of them. I did not... This is not to say that I did not have some expectation that it would be taken away, because I went in... I'd had... Um, I mean, I would say it's... I would say it was reparative therapy, just knowing what I know about therapy, but it was not slated as that. It was through uh, LDS Family Services. 
so I had therapy that that was founded on the idea that eventually it would go away if I if I did certain things over time and um, and that was what leaders said I my uh, the first bishop that I spoke to did not, like, literally did not believe that I was gay. This is when I was 16, and he, like, would not believe it. Like, he refused to believe that what I was saying was true. And that was really hard for me. Hmm. Uh, and I remember getting into a fight with him, actually, like, with a verbal bishop. altercation. With the yeah. bishop? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did, I, I, I view this as being, having been very good, it ended up being, working out well because my attitude at the time was that I was going to trust my leader and do what he said, even though he was like straight up wrong, mm. and just trust that the Lord would make up the difference. And that happened in multiple ways as I did that. So uh, I can't even remember what you asked. So I'm like getting tangential here. No, it's good. So, um, so you never. You never tried to talk to God or get God to take it away or make there a bargain? There were definitely, or? I mean, I'm not going to say I never said a prayer of like, help, help me out, you know, like, relieve me of this. But I did, not, I did not enter into what I would view as some kind of pathological, um, performance-based, you know, please, like, expectation of like, please take this from me. Uh, if you love me, you will remove this from, you know, if I'm worth something to you, God. It was never tied to my self-worth. So, does that make sense? Yeah. The clarification makes sense? And the reparative therapy or the therapy that you went through with LDS Family Services, that the goal was to make it go away? The implicit goal and how was... And how that work? Uh, it totally doesn't. <laughs> doesn't or didn't for you or doesn't at all? I am going to speak broadly and say that it, uh, my opinion is that it doesn't at all. Uh, I can for sure say that it did not for me. What, did they, what types of things did you try? Um, they, it was like, I'm trying to even remember... It was weak. Like, you know, it was not It was not like I was seeing Nicolosi and getting, like, straight-up reparative therapy. It was more like just a diluted kind of, like, everyone has the expectation that this is going to go away if you're obedient and don't ever masturbate and stop having those pesky fantasies about God, you know, and, and live righteously and do good things. Like, so it, uh, yeah. It, I can't even remember specifically what 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 he had me do. But you tried. But I tried. I tried to live correctly. I tried to do everything that I could do, uh, and I definitely did. There were years where I had an expectation that if I, you know, like went on a mission and got married and uh, and was did everything right, that maybe probably it could go away. You know, like it was kind of like. Yeah, like it was that it was within the realm of possibility that it that it could go away, because huh. that's what everyone was kind of like saying, you know. So you were hoping so, for that. Yeah, I hadn't pinned my hopes on it, but it was definitely a hope that I had. So, so Lolly, when did you first find yourself liking Josh and being attracted to him? And do you remember? Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> it was. A long time after we were friends, so late in the process. Yeah, we were friends. He told me that he was gay. We were just friends, and it took years 
for me to even think about entering into like a romantic relationship with him. It was a very long process. Was it kind of friends pre-mission? Oh, yeah. And then post-mission? No. Um, Should we go through the storyline? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I out at 16. You can yeah, go. He, he told me at 16. Um, I was the first person he told besides his parents. And I, he felt comfortable telling me because he knew that my grandpa was gay and had left my grandma. And so he thought, okay, here's someone that is at least, you know, knows what being gay is. And um, so he told me and um, there was a lot of emotion that I had when he told me. I just felt really bad for him thinking, what are you supposed to do? And feeling like, what are your resources? You know, and asking him, what are you gonna do? What's your plan? And so then just hours and hours and, I mean, years of us just talking about, like, what he wanted out of life and things like that. Um, I never thought it would happen with me. I, I mean, that first conversation, he said he wanted to get married and go on a mission. And and so I remember thinking, oh, okay, maybe, yeah, yeah, that could be a possibility. Um, and so at times we'd talk, like, well, how is that going to work what kind of a woman would would marry you? <laughs> it's true. You know, this was the nature of. I mean, we're a youth. You know, like we're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and and I'd and say for stuff. A minute, yeah. yeah, like well, obviously you're gonna have to marry someone that doesn't care With about sex. Libido. You know, and he was like, "Whoa, no! I think that would be disastrous. <laughs> right. You know, I think I need to find someone that that is gonna want it, or else." We're going to be in a bad situation. And I'm like, well, okay, maybe. 